Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. A Biden administration program to monitor asylum-seeking families and subject them to a curfew is set to expand to several California cities next week. KQED's immigration editor, Taiki Hendricks, has more. Under the program, the adult heading the family must wear a GPS ankle monitor and be home every night from 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. It's intended to keep tabs on migrants with children without putting them in detention while they wait for an initial asylum screening interview. If they can't show in the screening that they have a credible fear of persecution in their home country, officials say families will be promptly deported. The system rolled out in a few cities last spring when pandemic border restrictions lifted. Now it's expanding across the country, including to California. It's part of an effort by the Biden administration to signal a tough but humane approach to border enforcement. But it's getting pushback from some immigrant advocates. For The California Report, I'm Tyke Hendricks. Following the state's record-breaking rainfall in the winter, and now it's dry heat, Public health officials are worried about an uptick in valley fever infections. The California Report's Izzy Bloom has more. Valley fever is a respiratory infection that comes from a fungus in the soil. Dr. Satya Dandakar, the co-director of the Center for Valley Fever at UC Davis, says the state's recent extreme weather events have created fertile ground for the fungus. You know, we have seen the flowers bloom in the same way some of these pathogens in Uh, In the soil, out in the environment, they also bloom and they expand, they proliferate, they grow very well. About 20,000 cases are reported in the U.S. each year, mostly in California and Arizona, according to the CDC. In California, infection is more common in the Central Valley, where agricultural workers are regularly exposed to and breathe in dust containing the fungus. However, Dondekar says climate change has expanded the geographic reach of the virus. Valley fever attacks the lungs, and symptoms include chest pain, cough, fever, and fatigue. Since these symptoms are similar to COVID-19, you should see a doctor if you test negative for COVID and experience lingering symptoms. For The California Report, I'm Izzy Bloom. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of The California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just 
what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. And now to our preview of our sister show, The California Report's Weekly Magazine. For generations, one story has loomed over Japanese-American history. It's the story of incarceration during World War II. But there's another tale from that era that not many people know about. Reporter Corey Suzuki uncovered a personal connection to it while talking with his grandmother about her memories of the war. Here's Corey. Can you just tell me what you see? It's a big ship. Someone is on the ship waving. <laughs> yeah. Oh, little girl. <laughs> this is my Obachima, my grandma. I'm asking her to describe a drawing that's been in my family for years, one that I've never really been able to get out of my head. It shows a little girl standing on the railing of a ship. In my memory of the drawing, she stares out over the water. Her straight black hair dances in the wind. Very lonesome <laughs> picture, isn't it? <laughs> and this is, this is you. Mm-hmm. This was me. <laughs> this drawing is of Obachima as a little girl, coming to America from Japan in 1949. For four years, Japan and the United States had been at war. I'd heard Obachima tell these stories. She and her parents were living in Tokyo, right in the firing line. Some nights they would watch as Allied bombers passed overhead and the city glowed orange. In this drawing, the war is over, and Obachima, just 16 years old, is on her way to California, alone. For the longest time, I thought this was the moment the one that so many descendants of immigrants hear about, the moment our families made the journey to this country. What I saw in that drawing was a lonely moment, but also a moment of hope, of leaving war-torn Japan and forging a new life in the United States. It wasn't until high school that I asked Obachima about it. I wanted to know what it was like to be born and raised in Japan, but her response shocked me. I was born in San Francisco, California, Oh, August 1932. That was the day I learned that Obachima was not born in Japan. She was born in California, an American citizen, in the heart of the West Coast. When I learned this, I didn't know what to think. It was like my whole sense of where I came from had been turned inside out. I always thought Obachima was Japanese, but really she was Japanese-American. That drawing of that little girl on the ship, it wasn't of someone making the journey to a new country. It was a picture of someone making their way home. I had so many questions. Why did Obachima and her parents end up leaving the United States? 
What was it like to grow up on the other side of the war? What was it like to come back? And then Obachima told me something else. There were others, she said. This wasn't just her story. There were thousands of people, tens of thousands, Japanese Americans who were in Japan when the imperial Japanese government attacked Pearl Harbor and who were stranded on the wrong side of the ocean. That was reporter Corey Suzuki. You can hear more of Corey's story on this week's California Report magazine. Tune in on your local public radio station or download the magazine's podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And that is the California Report for Friday, August 4th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Brendan Willard, and Seal Muller. Our producers are Keith Mizuguchi and Izzy Bloom. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day out there. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. The Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved children and youth. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food on the web at theschmidt.org. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.